Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. The winners are the, the people with the most stories. One of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet. I've slept in bus stations, like yeah. I've slept on people's floors. And it's already on fire, and then there's just a gigantic, huge explosion, like out of a Hollywood movie. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. We hired like 10 Chinese prostitutes to come be our audience. We were kidnapped by nuns in Puerto Rico. <laughs> not a good idea to be high when you're packing. You forget a lot of stuff. I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. Thank you so much for listening. My guest today is Jerry Whitworth. Before we get to Jerry, I uh, do want to tell you about the website. Go to TravelTalesPodcast.com. Check out the articles. Check out photos of our guests and me. And uh, you could go to the links for our guests and links to all our social media. There are symbols there to click to Twitter, Travel Tales Pod on Twitter. You can go to Instagram, Travel Tales Podcast on Instagram. You can go to our Facebook page. Please give us a like there and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. And there are links to Stitcher Radio where you can subscribe and do iTunes where you can subscribe to this show. And if you're on iTunes, I ask, as always, why not give us a good rating because that boosts our presence on there, which helps more people find the show. And that's always a cool thing. If you want to write me, it's TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com, TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. Folks, I am happy to say that I have something to plug this week. I am talking about the Taiwan show that I shot way back in November. It's called, now I believe the running title is 10 Things You Must Do in Taiwan, and that is going to air on CNBC. If you have cable, if you still have cable, I do. I think we're dinosaurs at this point, but yes, if you still have cable, CNBC, uh, 12.30 p.m. Pacific time on April 23rd, which means 3.30 p.m. Eastern, I think. And uh, I'm really excited about it, so check it out. And if you are a member of the Travel Media and you know who you are, we will be promoting this event. I'm actually going to hit the road promoting this event. I'm not going to hit the road the first week, which is, of course, in Los Angeles, in my hometown. That is April 12th in uh, Century City at the AMC, 5 to 6.30 p.m. at the AMC Century City 15. We're going to be showing the video and answering questions. There are going to be people there from the Taiwan Tourism Bureau and myself presenting the uh the show and uh, hosting a party, basically. And we're going to try to promote more people to visit the lovely island of Taiwan. So Tuesday, April 12th at uh, Century City AMC at uh, 5 o'clock. April 14th in Vancouver. Always love going back to Vancouver. Same time, 5 o'clock at the Scotiabank Theater in Vancouver. The following week, I'll be headed to New York, April 19th. Can't wait to get back to New York. April 19th, Tuesday, we're going to be presenting at 5 o'clock at the Regal Cinemas Union Square 14 on 850 Broadway. And Houston, April 21st, 5 p.m. at the AMC Studio 30 on Dunvale Road in Houston. So that's it. If you are a member of the Travel Media and would like to go and attend one of these events, I would love to see you. Come talk to me. Come learn about Taiwan and come see a presentation of the show before it airs on CNBC. You can write Aaron Yang at Myriad Marketing. It's Aaron at MyriadMarketing.com. M-Y-R-I-A-D Marketing.com. And uh, send her uh, any of your requests, information, and tell her who you are and that you'd like to attend. 
All right. With that being said, let's talk about Jerry Whitworth, my guest today. Jerry is a, a TV producer, cameraman, slash writer, slash traveler. Does an interesting form of travel that I don't really do as much anymore, which is uh, road trips. A lot of road trips. Jerry was a previous guest on the show. We talked about his trips throughout Southeast Asia. Big fan of Thailand and uh, other parts of Southeast Asia. But this time we focus mostly on his uh, road trips around America. He has uh, vintage cars. He's a big fan of 60s and 70s cars, and he's been traveling around in a uh, restored 70s van. And we talk about trips that he took in an old uh, VW van. Just a really curious mind and very open to talk to people, much more open than I tend to be, as uh, I try to be more open on the road and and meet new people. But every so often, I, I can retreat into my own little world. You pop in the headphones, and you tune everyone out. Jerry's the kind of guy who will uh, strike up a conversation with anyone, and it really shapes his travel because he has an incredible curiosity, which I think most of people who travel, if we share one thing in common, it's our curiosity. And Jerry certainly has that. So why don't we get right to it? Here's my conversation with Jerry Whitworth. Was like a princess, she was laying there. You never well, bought a new car. Yeah, okay. To, you have to, many to, cars and vans, but you've never had a newer one. I, I'm a walking, talking piece of history, right? <laughs> As a child, I was interested in the 1940s and the old black and white movies and Charlie Chaplin. You know, when I was a kid, I had a subscription to AFI magazine in a little town in Kansas, and I got the magazine and read about movies. I had a subscription to Rolling Stone, and I was reading Rolling Stone when I was 12, Right, yeah, right. Um, about, about movies and music and things like that. So uh, I was always interested in things that happened before my time. Lots of people, when they arrive on the planet, don't care about anything that happened before the day they were born. Me, it's just innately part of who I am. And as an adult, it's only gotten to be a bigger interest and more passionate uh, interest, really, because I find it way more interesting. I, I, I just, I, everything I learned from from smallest article to a documentary film is, is this is a fascinating world we live in. And it's, it's way more interesting if you open up the pages to history and read a little bit of stuff, right? Just read a little bit of that to me is, and whether it's, I, and it's the same thing when I travel, when I travel, I'm looking for the stories, right? And some of those are very historic stories. Everything from, um, you know, uh, uh, a guy who I meet in a gas station who has a little ranch up in Utah. He's actually from Huntington Beach where he grew up as a young kid, as an actor, surfer, model dude. But his dad had a ranch up in Escalante, U- um, not Escalante, Utah, but um, uh, gosh, Torrey, Utah, up around Torrey, Utah. And and so he, in the summers, he spent his summers up there on the ranch doing ranch work and then come back and and be a Southern California kid. So it was an interesting deal. I met the guy at the gas station, and the next thing you know, he invites me out to the ranch, tells me all about him growing this really rare alfalfa hay that is now being used by 
Um, some it's of the called, top. It's called marijuana. Top <laughs> horse breeders in the country. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> marijuana. Yeah, there's that. Very rare. Very rare. Pure. We, we call it hay. Up pure. There. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it, it was fascinating to just literally just go into a gas station and start conversation and find out a guy's history of this family, how that history of growing. They've been growing that hay to feed their cattle for 50 years, and only because he took the hay to a guy he knew to have it analyzed. That guy said, do you know what you have? You have some of the purest alfalfa hay I've ever seen in my life. I'm going to send this to some top horse breeders that I know. And those horse breeders went berserk because it was basically, we uh, as, as Southern Californian healthy people like to go to Whole Foods and buy organic stuff. Right. So imagine this is the most healthy, most clean hay you've ever seen, and you have a horse that costs a million dollars. What are you going to feed him? Right. You're going to give him the good stuff. stuff. Suddenly this guy was, was – the price of this hay, which he'd been using just as cattle feed, <laughs> became, went, through the, went through the roof. Oh, wow. And, and, and he became a, a guy who supplies these top breeders with this hay. Where'd you meet this guy? I met him at a gas station. <laughs> Start a conversation with people. They'll tell you anything. You're much better at uh, talking to strangers than I am. And I mean, and that's a huge part of travel. And I wish I was a little more open. I can get, uh, you know, not that I don't talk to people, but uh, a lot of times, you know, we're in our own world. And well, it's interesting because uh, I, uh, um, a friend just mentioned to me yesterday that when you travel, you're more open. And, that's true. And I didn't think about it that way. Uh, for me to be open and, co- and have conversations with people is a lifetime of work. I was born a uh, shy, very quiet kid, and I didn't have any social skills. I was 20 years old, and I didn't know how to talk to people, literally. Mm-hmm. I didn't know. So um, since I was 20, I've spent a lifetime trying to work on social skills. And when I'm out traveling, I do feel more free and more open and more accessible Although I can do it right on the street if we walked outside this place right yeah. now. But uh, I can it... do it. But, but I'm curious about people's stories. My travel is driven by the desire to uncover interesting stories that other people may not ever find. Right? I'm not talking about the best hotel or the best meal or the, be- or, or the best place to find a fanciest new drink. You know, I, honestly, I don't even care about that stuff. What I care about is the little old lady who I met, who actually supplies whatever that unique herb is for that drink that guy makes in that bar. I'm more interested in that lady, right? And she lives in a grass hut somewhere near a beach on some island. You know, and her tradition goes back, you know, 10 generations or something. To me, that's way more interesting. Um, my, My travel is more about organic stories of people who you may walk right by. What I'll try to do is just be open to whatever might occur. So when I travel, and I do travel in vintage vehicles a lot, uh, I've been a longtime car guy, vintage car person my whole life. I've never owned a new car, and I never really cared to own a new car. Um, I've owned everything from, you know, Dodge Darts and Barracuda convertibles and Impala Super Sports and <laughs> uh, um, uh, vintage uh, uh, classic 70s vans. And uh, VW buses. Yeah, but you uh, got like, so now your recent trips, you've been in the in the van, right? How many how many cars and vans do you own right now? I sold three of my cars last year to to help finance other travel. Right <laughs> uh, at the time, I had about six cars, vintage you had cars. That many? Yeah, 
Where do you leave them all? In the street? So I had storage for different ones okay. in different places and move them around on the street and all kinds <laughs> of stuff. So when I sold three, that was a great relief. Uh, and That's uh, a lot of work to sell a car. Uh, well, it's you a lot of work to move them by, around. Poking their hood, poking their heads in, like, you know, and, yeah. then, and sitting in it, driving it, and then saying, nah. Right. And then that, it's a lot of time. That can be. In this case, they were on eBay, and they were, boom, gone. Oh, wow, really? Uh, one of them was a 1972 Oldsmobile station wagon uh, that I bought, Southern California. Um, that car went to Kuwait. Kuwait? Yeah. Who? Yeah, that, those station wagons are very collectible. And some guy in Kuwait wanted to have that one. It was a rare color. And boom, it was gone on a ship. And Is out it a here. U.S. military guy? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You could have, you could haul a lot of ammo in there. Yeah, I was yeah. Say. <laughs> in, a station, in a seventy-two, uh, you know, Vista cruiser. So they just wagon. ship it out on a on a on a boat, and then they had to. Wow. Yeah. What did that cost? Well, there's a lot of vehicles My that are God. American vehicles that are being shipped to other countries all the time because collectors there, if they have money, can buy whatever they want from the states, especially American muscle cars oh, or you know. That was the, I was yeah. in um, uh, Scandinavia last summer. Yes. And all through like Finland and Sweden. And so there was like a yeah. rockabilly car festival. Each weekend I was in in Sweden and Finland. And none of these big old, they love the 50s, 60s. Sure. Uh, the bigger, the better. Giant yep. Cadillacs. Like big Cadillacs. Hot Chryslers. Rods, kind of stuff. Chrysler yeah. New Yorkers. Uh, big uh, uh, Buick Wildcats and stuff. And Buick Roadmasters. I thought of you when yes. I was there. You would have loved it. Yeah. Well, there is a big interest in that time period in those countries. Yes. Yeah, and I have a friend. Stuff. I have a friend who sold a 60 or 61 uh, Chrysler New Yorker station wagon that wasn't even put back together. It was in pieces from a restoration that had never finished because the old man died. Right. Uh, he sold it sight unseen to a guy who was already on the airplane leaving to go back to Sweden. <laughs> he saw the one picture that he texted him on the phone. He pressed the button and dropped in $18,000 for <laughs> a station wagon that the average person would think was worth 200 bucks. Oh, my God. Now, that's 18000 unrestored. That's the car in pieces. So Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I was so amazed at it. Like, but they love it's just not that. There was a whole the culture around it, you know, correct. the dress and the clothes, the rockabilly yep. stuff, they were playing like fifties kind of music and, and Yeah, in the eighties and nineties like that greaser was greaser culture, you know. Yeah, yeah, in the, the greaser culture of the fifties, the the happy days uh, yeah. uh thing and the and American graffiti, that's still very popular in some of these other countries. It was hugely popular in Asia and Japan during the eighties and nineties. And that fueled a lot of uh collector interest in things like vintage jeans and jackets and you know all of that stuff that went with that era uh, and cars but for the most part it was it was Sweden and Denmark and those other countries that really became obsessed with the big cars um Amsterdam I can remember walking around in Amsterdam years ago and there's a giant Buick Wildcat sitting on a <laughs> side of a, one of those streets how can you even the streets aren't even wide enough to drive the thing let alone park it <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yeah. it, it, I, uh, uh, I've combined uh, my, my love for travel and my desire to be out on the road with the vintage um, vehicle uh, passion. Um, I, I've had nothing but vintage cars my whole life. So I'd had a dream of, of always having a vintage VW bus to go travel in it. You know, it's a romantic idea because in reality, the thing is 40 years old. So if yeah. you make it one block. It's like a four-cylinder yeah, <laughs> those the four-cylinder like, VW buses—they don't have very much. They don't have much horsepower. 
they go 60 miles an hour if you're going flat and it's fully tuned up, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, you don't have any air conditioning. You don't have uh, any heat for the most part. Um, it's very <laughs> primitive. But then the technology is literally from the 40s. Yeah. I mean, that you're in the 70s, it had not changed. And until the 1980s when they changed the VW bus to the Vanagon, right, uh, it was still an incredibly primitive vehicle. And it still is. So – it's not everybody's choice in the world to get in a 40-year-old VW bus and travel around the country. Uh, yes, it would be way more comfortable to rent uh, a modern RV or a modern car or a van or something. But that seems boring. <laughs> I mean, really. I mean, you rent What year a, you, was yours? What year was yours? I have an, I, the one I just found. Uh, and oh, you got a new one. Yeah, I just found one. I sold my green one last year. Oh, you did? Okay. I had I, a 70- that one I remember. Yeah, I, I had a 76 VW Lime Green 76. Uh, Westphalia camper bus with the pop-up top. And I bought it literally off eBay when I was back in New Jersey working a job. And when I finished the job, uh, I bought the bus, had it shipped to me in New Jersey from Denver, and got in it and took off across the country. And I didn't know anything about VW buses, and I couldn't find anybody to work on them. So when I took off, I was either going to go 5 miles or 5,000. I went and you 70 learn, you learned quickly. I went 7500 miles on that trip, right? <laughs> wow. And uh, up through the northern route, uh, you know, up through um uh Sturgis and and uh Yellowstone and all of that that route I had never done before. What and would, always wanted to, so I did. Was that the trip where the uh the buffalo herd came in the, in the middle of the day or, or night? Co- or? Correct. That that <laughs> that particular trip had a lot of adventures. One is that I took off solo on the trip, but about halfway through, a couple of my college buddies, and we've traveled a lot over the years to different countries and stuff, they were so fascinated with the idea of me traveling in the bus that they flew to Minneapolis and got in the bus with me for a week. So they went from Minneapolis all the way to Salt Lake City. And then they got back out, and then I finished the rest of the journey all by myself. So what was interesting about that is that they, we've been friends since we were in college, so it's been a very long time that we've known each other and traveled. And um, imagine two – well, imagine three grown men plus all of the gear plus a 10-speed bicycle from the 70s uh, stuffed inside this van. That's tight. That's and, a little tight. And Yeah, and <laughs> we – I hope you still get along. Uh, well, there you go. That would <laughs> yeah. be one. That yeah. would be one challenging issue. Three strong-minded dudes who have oh. always been that way, and uh, w- w- the romantic idea of doing it yeah. was great. Yeah, you but the reality the in your head. You put the, re- the movie in your yeah, head. Yeah, and the reality is the one guy was a Type A personality who was a high-level executive at IBM, and he was in the bus while people believed he was in his office. So he's hiding out. He's literally on the trip in the bus at the same time working oh, his phone, and, yeah. working his phone, and 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 postponing meetings. Uh, that, That's great to listen to on that, a one-sided conversation. Yeah, it's and he's awesome. not even taking part in. You know, he's not well, really social. High-level conference meetings are like yeah, that, aren't that's they? that's great. Yeah, there's like there 20 people on the thing oh. and only two people talk. I don't know. Anyway, it was a, it was a great trip anyway, e- even though uh, we might have butted heads a couple of times. We still had a big adventure. The biggest one, part of the adventure was trying to find a campsite out in uh, the Badlands. The, the idea of camping in the Badlands sounds really awesome. Just the name of it. The Badlands. We're going to go to the Badlands. And I didn't even know what it was. And I, I just went along with a buddy who's an expert traveler, and I let him pick 
pick a couple of those spots, and here we go. Well, it turns out that he is very knowledgeable about traveling. He hitchhikes across the country all the time. Uh, he has for about 20 years. Wow. So he's been back and forth across the country hundreds of times, right? So I figured he'd be the perfect guy to pick out a few spots like the Badlands. So he picked out a camp spot, and we get to the little town that's near where the Badlands is, and we drive around for an hour and stop everywhere looking for firewood so that we can have a fire when we get out there. There's no firewood. We stop at every motel, every gas station. There's nothing in the town. Like, well, this is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Well, as we start to drive out of town, I see a little motel, and out behind the motel, I see a bunch of chopped up wood. So I go in. The motel's closed for the season, but I go into the gift shop, and I talk to the woman inside there, and I kind of sweet talk her. And I said, well, you know, how can I, you know, is there any way I can get some of that wood out there? She goes, I told her the story of traveling in the bus and stuff, and she's like, well, you know what? It was dark already, right? She goes, well, just pull up there and load up what you want. Like, <laughs> for how much? She goes, just do it. So oh, it was awesome. Nice. We pulled up in the back. We loaded the thing full of already cut up wood, and off we went. Well, we took off into the, into the Badlands at night with, with a GPS signal that wasn't working very well. Now, what month of the year was this? This was in October. Okay. Uh, or, let's see, September, so October. So it's getting chilly. Okay, it's, uh, it's already cold. It could cold. be. It depends on where we go. We don't know where we're going. Right, it's yeah. dark. We're going to a campsite. We hope it's going to look wicked <laughs> when we wake up, right? Right. Well, what happens is we drive and drive and drive, and we drive down gravel roads forever and ever and ever. We are in the middle of nowhere, and we don't know even if we're on the right road. And as we're driving along, it's the middle of nowhere, and we see a headlight, like a single headlight moving down the road, like a gravel road. And I was like, oh, what's that? That's weird. It looks like a guy on a bicycle. Why would somebody be on a bicycle out literally in the middle of nowhere? Uh, in the Badlands. And my buddy, one of my buddies is a runner. And he goes, I think it's a runner. I said, why would somebody be running on this gravel road uh, like 40 miles from the town? That's weird. So we get closer and closer and closer. And maybe it's a guy on an ATV or something. That's what it kind of looks like. And as we get closer, we see when we're about 30 feet away from the guy, it is a guy. And he was wearing a headlamp. And he is running, and he said, but he stopped in the middle of the dirt road. Like, well, what's he doing? First of all, why is he here? What's he doing? And and as we realize that he's stopped because there's cows crossing this road, right? Like, oh, that's bizarre. The guy's out for a jog, and there's cattle crossing the road in the middle of the night. Like, oh, but then we notice that he's dodging. Like, whoop. Jumping right, left, the headlamp's going all over, there's dust flying everywhere. Like, well, those aren't cattle. And they're not walking. It's buffalo, and it's a stampede. (laughs) Oh, my God, the dude is standing in the middle of the gravel road as a stampede of buffalo are jumping over and crossing the road, and the roar of thunder and the sound of uh, of it is is deafening, and it's shaking the bus as we're in the bus. My two buddies are screaming like little girls, ah, because they can't believe it's real. And I'm like, whoa, this is crazy. I reach for my camera, of course. I'm trying to juggle, like, I got to get, I got to get some footage of this man and it's and and, I, and the buffalo are roaring over the dust cloud is huge and they're they're 10 inches from the front of the bus right there's a it's like a hundred 
of them. Oh, my God. Coming over, like in a movie. It's bizarre. And we're like, holy crap. Finally, the last one of the hundred in the herd runs off, and we're sitting there in total silence. There's dust everywhere. The guy with the headlamp did not get trampled. He's standing there. <laughs> and we're like, oh, my God. That's unbelievable. And I rolled my window down to say something to the guy, and he just takes off. I go, that was wild. He goes, sure was. He took off running. <laughs> like nothing ever happened. Right. Uh, I'm like, my buddy who's a runner says, okay, that guy's got to have the greatest running story, any, any human being everywhere, anywhere. And then I said, uh, I guess so. He didn't and seem that phased by it. Suddenly, no, he wasn't at all, which is really weird. Suddenly, just as we're ready to put it back, the van back into gear, the bus into gear, the second half of the herd comes over the hill, tops the hill onto the road, and I look, and I'm eyeball to eyeball with the giant buffalo who's heading right for the door of my van. Oh. I'm like, no! And they scream like little girls again, ah! And there it is! And the big, giant buffalo, like, you know, I mean, it's it's bigger than you can ever imagine when it's that close. He turns six inches from the door and they all follow him another hundred buffalo roar past the van and it's shaking and dust is everywhere and it it was the craziest thing it's probably one of the greatest stories ever of all my travel because we then sat there in the dirt i mean we sat there in the van in the bus we sat in the bus and here we are thinking what how did what what was that? Anyway, it was crazy because we had um, we had been sitting in the middle of a stampede of buffalo, and no no damage to the van. No, they didn't. No, but it was just you. The tails were slapping the side of it, but they didn't <laughs> run into it. You know what I mean? That's amazing. That was crazy. So oh, we woke up. The, we finally found the campground, which was only a mile away at that point. And uh, the next morning, when we woke up, we woke up to a campsite that was just a generic campsite. We traveled. We. All of those miles, probably 40 miles by gravel road, shaking the, way. shaking the bus and but all the parts off of it along the side of the road. And we get run over by uh, a herd of buffalo. And then we get to the campsite, and it's just, it's just a patch of dirt. Right. You could have with, just pulled over on the side of any— We could have pulled over anywhere <laughs> way back right. where the scenery was cool. 40 miles yeah. of uh, gas. Yeah. But then uh, it, when you look over there, the buffalo just roaming around. They're yeah. just, they, you know, it's their territory anyway. Uh, so it was a great, it was a great adventure in, in all aspects from, from uh, you know, going to uh, 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 Devil's Tower and, and sort of those Now that other, I haven't seen. I haven't seen that and I haven't done... I still, Mount Rushmore. Mount Rushmore I saw, but I still haven't seen... Uh, the last two states I haven't been to are Wyoming and Montana. Ah, really? Wow. So Yellowstone, I really got to do. Yeah, Yellowstone was cool. And that Glacier? was another thing. There we were. Yeah, we were in Yellowstone, and it was it toward it was the end of the season. You know, when you travel in the north and the, toward the end of uh, travel season, there. the crowds are. It's gone. a good time, but things are closed. Yeah, that's... we got into the park with no gas, and mm-hmm. I also did the seventy five hundred miles in that VW bus with no fuel gauge. <laughs> so, um, and also no speedometer. So you can't actually gauge the mileage. <laughs> what the? You just go by your gut feeling and stop for plane, gas. Trains and automobiles. You're yeah, John Candy. Yeah, uh, dude. I, but it's I the damnedest thing. The radio works. I loved it. It was awesome. 
It was awesome. I mean, I, I just took a chance, and I, I, I did a similar thing in the this other uh, uh, orange bus that I just went on a couple of trips on. But anyway, that green bus trip was epic, and people followed it on Facebook. And and it for me, it was a dream of a lifetime from being a little kid wanting to go take these trips in a VW bus. I had had friends and family over the years who had them and told these stories. And over the years, I romanticized the stories and didn't remember all the bad parts of when they broke down. I only remembered the cool parts of traveling and seeing things. Well, give me your biggest uh, breakdown story and your worst, your worst uh, breakdown. Wow. Um, You've had a few. Well, I had uh, in the green bus, uh, I lost the shift control for the transmission, the, there's a the shifter is connected to a giant rod that goes into the transmission, and I lost that just outside of Minneapolis. It just fell off. E, well, I didn't know for sure. I thought I lost the transmission. Okay. But the sun <laughs> oh, was going down. It was about 35 degrees. I crawled underneath the thing, and I'm like, oh my god, I don't know anything about them. I'm just look. I know about cars, but I never had a VW bus, so I didn't know the what's supposed to be there and what's not, and what's supposed to be connected to what. But I got under and saw it was disconnected. I was like, okay, now what? Now I'm supposed to be picking up my two buddies who are coming in, and I'm on. I'm stuck 60 <laughs> miles outside of town. Um, well. I try to figure out what's going on. I call a couple of buddies on the phone. I try to find a repair place on my phone. I can't find anything. What's happened in the vintage VW world, those what are called air-cooled engines, it's called an air-cooled VW from that time period, the mechanics who worked on them are mostly dead. So when you buy one of these things, finding someone to do the repairs is nearly impossible. So not only are you taking off in a 40-year-old vehicle, you're taking off in a 40-year-old VW bus that nobody knows how to work on. So you're really rolling some dice when yeah. you get in the thing, man. <laughs> right. And if you don't have a fuel gauge or a speedometer, that's even more fun. And you never ran out of gas. You never ran out. Never ran out. Wow. I just took a chance. Yeah. How did you fix uh this thing. Well, uh, that's a good story, actually. So, so there I am. I can't find anybody who could work on it. I can't get a hold of my buddy because he's either still on the plane or his phone's dead. So what I, I'm standing there trying to figure out what to do, and I'd been on the phone with a friend, and I'd got underneath. Um, and there's a guy who had pulled up at the gas station to go into the restroom or walk his dog or something there. And um, he says, well, you broken down? I said, yeah, I am. I'm broken down. I don't know what to do exactly. And he says, well... There's a VW repair place right down the road. And I said, well, you mean like a VW repair place that works on old stuff? Like, is there old vehicles out in front of the place? Because there's a big difference between yeah, a, VW, a VW dealership and someone who can work on old VW Beetles and, and VW buses. So anyway, um, uh, I noticed in the, they were in a pickup truck, and I noticed they had luggage in the back of it, and they were either going to or from the airport. And he says, you know, there's a little place right down there, man. We can, I can give you a ride right down there. And I said, well, okay. I'm looking at my watch. It's already 5.20 in, outside Minneapolis. And I'm thinking, well, even if there is a place over there, they're not open after 5 o'clock. So I said, okay, well, give me a ride. I'll check it out. And so I jump in the back of the truck, and they take me down. And it's not even a quarter of a mile is a VW repair place. We pull in. I jump out of the back of the pickup truck. I walk up to the door, and they're open. 
So I go in. I say, hey, you know, I, uh, you guys are open. Yeah, I'm open till six. Okay. So I got 30 minutes to talk to the guy. And I go back out and tell those other people in the pickup truck, thanks. I'll see you later. So, okay. So I go in and I explain to the guy what the deal is. And he says, oh, I know exactly what it is. There's a pin in there, like a bolt. There's a bolt that goes in there that holds it on, and that came off. And I said, okay, well, what can, I, what can we do about that? He goes, well, here, I'll get one of my guys to – I don't have one, but I can make one. So he had one of his guys get on a little grinder and take a bolt and grind the bolt down and then uh, to, to, be, to be the size he thought was going to fit in there. And then he gave it to me and said, here, try this out, and if this – doesn't work if you don't feel that this is going to be solid like it's going to hold then uh and but you do get on the road then why don't you bring it over here tomorrow and i said oh okay cool so i go back and i get underneath the thing and i put it in there and i tighten it down and it works i can then shift the <laughs> i can amazing. then shift the thing right um because basically it was disconnected from the transmission you can't yeah. do anything Man, how lucky I, was that? You that well, I took off. That. Right. So I, I, well, also that, plus I said, well, how much do I owe you? He goes, ah, forget it, man. As long as you get back on the road, that's all I care about. Wow. Like, first of all, they were open. Good old Minnesota. Yeah. First of all, they were open <laughs> at till six. Second of all, he was really uh, incredibly helpful and, um, and offered to have me come back the next day as well as give me the thing for nothing. So I got on the road. I actually was able to get into town and get both of those guys um, and get the hotel we were going to stay in. And then the next day, I did decide, thinking that we're way from – we're a long way from Los Angeles when we're in Minneapolis. That's a long way to go on a temporary bolt. So I did go back the next morning, drive all the way back to that place about 60 miles, take it to him and say, hey, man, I, I am a little concerned about that. And he goes, okay, here's what we'll do. He moved other cars that they were working on out of the shop and put the bus up on the rack. And they, then the guy uh, manufactured one that was going to be really solid and they could do it themselves. Plus they found a couple other things wrong. Like I didn't have any taillights. I'd probably been, I'd probably done 500, 600 miles with no taillights <laughs> and didn't know it. So they had some wiring that was rotted. And so they did a bunch of repairs on the bus, uh, fixed that little thing pushed all the other cars out of the way to do it. Then they fixed the stuff, put the thing down on the ground, and charged me like 80 bucks. Oh, my God. For everything. That's fantastic. Yeah, it was awesome. So off I went on the rest of the trip. Didn't I see something yeah. when you, your axle broke recently or something? Well, I, I do. Uh, recently, uh, um, last year, I sold that VW bus. Uh, the market was really hot, and I thought, People well, will I could, love those things, right? You can sell those. Well, you sell the romanticized idea of having one, just like yeah. me. I wanted it worked one on because you. it worked on me. <laughs> but, when you're, but I also had epic, epic pictures of that green bus from the travels I did. And those pictures Help sell, it. sell the thing. As soon as you see that green, lime green 70s VW bus on Highway 1, Surrounded by a herd it, of buffalo. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> uh, or, or out in the Badlands, right, because there was a Badlands picture of it that was beautiful. Uh, boom. I mean, that's it. And, and it sold uh, at a very good price, and it was gone. And I thought, well, maybe I'll get another one someday. Well, fast forward about eight months, a friend of mine sends me a link to an orange one, and I always wanted an orange one. So uh, it was up in Utah. I was already up in Utah doing a little trip. So I, I changed a flight. Flew to Salt Lake from St. George, Utah. The buddy who sent me the link picked me up, took me to the town where the car was, the, the bus. We looked it over, and I closed the deal. 
uh, it had been off the road for a long time, but it was really clean and rust-free and mostly original. So that was huge, and I was going to get into it at a really fair price. Now, it needed work, of course, tires and other mechanical stuff, and you got to figure out what it needs. So we did the axles, and we put new tires on it, and we checked out the brakes and did all kinds of repairs. Uh, but the buddy of mine who also was in the previous trip in the green bus uh, decided to go with me so that we could go get uh, a, a fiberglass top. The fiberglass top was cracked and busted, and uh, the pop-up part that you that's the camper part on a, on a VW camper bus um, – because it pops up and then you can sleep up there like like in your own little clubhouse or uh, pup tent on top. That's also what's fun about them. A VW camper bus, when you can pop the top and fold out the bed up in the top, and it's your own clubhouse. You know, <laughs> if you're like the little rascals, man, or, 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 or like Stand By Me or something, you, you have your own clubhouse on top that you sleep in. And it's also your van. Right. Ah, there's nothing better in the world, <laughs> man. Uh, so basically, uh, that uh, we went from St. George, Utah, to Los Alamos, New Mexico, where we were going to buy a new top. I found the top online and found a guy who was an old VW guy, and he had one for sale. So we're going to drive over there, take off the busted one, and replace it with the other one. That was a whole amazing adventure anyway. But just before we left that guy's house, we stayed there at his house for two days. He had a chili uh, festival at his house on the day that we happened to be there. He, him and his wife were geologists and the longtime VW owners. They were super awesome and amazing to us and invited us in their house to stay and stay for the festival they had the next day. We had <laughs> you know, New Mexico-style chilies and all of their friends and interesting people and and it was it was really incredible. So once we had the top fixed and we got the van loaded up, we were at the grocery store just three blocks from his house. We pulled out of the grocery store about two miles an hour when I let out the clutch. The clutch popped. And we had dropped an axle. <laughs> uh, luckily, one of the brand new axles. Luckily, we were only going two miles an hour. Had we been going 40, 50, 60, when that axle broke off and dropped down, it would have flung around and busted a hole in the engine and ruined everything. Oh, yeah. Right? Um, so we had a guardian angel with us several times. Once was electrical issues, uh, actually twice with electrical issues. But the axle dropping off after it was a brand new axle that we put on, and we happened to be only three blocks from the guy's house where we got the parts, and it was his anniversary. And I called him and said, hey, we broke down. He goes, where are you? He assumed we were up in the mountains already. We weren't. We were only three blocks away. He goes, okay, I'll come over. I go, no, you don't have to come over. It's your anniversary. He goes, it doesn't matter. It's only my 29th. It doesn't count. <laughs> so, so he comes over. Don't let the, his wife hear that. He comes over with a tow rope. Well, they were both joking about it. It was kind of funny. <laughs> uh, but they, uh, he tows over, tows us over to his house. We push the thing into the driveway. We jack it up. And... The axle is not actually damaged because we were only going about like two miles an hour. It didn't damage the when it when it came loose. Basically, it sheared off the bolts. It came loose, and we were going to have to put in new bolts and try to bolt the thing back together. This guy had miscellaneous parts and little Tupperware containers, and we were able to find all the right pieces to put the thing back together. And within an hour. We had put the axle and all the ball bearings that go inside it and the washers and everything back together, and we were on the road. 
But you get lucky. You get lucky. We got lucky many times on this trip because had that happened anywhere out in the mountains and we were going any speed, not only the damage, but getting the thing towed 60, 70, 80 miles Oh, yeah, or even so there was also there's no signal up there. How would we even call somebody? Yeah, to hope those, you know, wave people down like in the old yeah, days. Well, man. yeah, gravel roads. Nobody's coming down the road. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but it was it was epic because once we had the top on it and we had the axle fixed and we camped in some spots on a road called Highway 126, which is half gravel from the distance from Los Alamos to Cuba, New Mexico. Cuba, New Mexico is a cool little town. It's got a lot of old vintage 50s signs and little motels and stuff. It's run down like a lot of little towns, but I'd never heard of it before. And that's also where we had electrical issues worked on before the axle problem. Because we had a uh, VW buses are notorious for having engine fires that burn the vehicle to the ground, right? What happened to us on that trip before we had an axle problem was that we had had a, a brand new alternator installed that shorted out on the way to Los Alamos outside the town of Cuba, New Mexico, about 50 miles. We didn't know what had happened. We just saw the red light come on, and it was like, okay, well, it's still running. We still have lights. Just keep going. So we drove because we were it, the sun was going down. Maybe we can make it to that little town. Mm-hmm. And we made it all the way to Cuba, New Mexico. We got us a little motel room, and then I went to find an auto parts store, and I found the auto parts store of the town and the town's only mechanic. The only mechanic in town was a, was a native guy who was supposed to be there at 10 o'clock but didn't show up till about 11. We opened it up in the daylight to see what kind of, what went wrong in there, especially since it was a brand new alternator, and we saw that the major uh, wiring to the alternator and the battery was all melted, which means by some kind of miracle, the thing did not catch on fire and it would have burned to the ground. <laughs> so we drove 60 miles with the wires having shorted out and melted in half, <laughs> but did not catch the thing on fire and made it all the way to this town. The next day, I found that local mechanic guy. Uh, he was only there for two hours, and we happened to get there. He pushed cars out of the way <laughs> and pulled it in and fixed the thing. With the, We were able to save. The alternator was not damaged, luckily. Um, and he replaced the wires, and we disconnected some other old wires that were still in there, and guy charged me $40 and we were back on the road. That's amazing. Or we would have been stuck there for more than four days. It was Friday of a holiday weekend in a small town of Cuba, New Mexico in the middle of no place with only one auto parts store. Had there been more damage or had the alternator been damaged, we wouldn't have been able to even get a part until Tuesday. (laughs) And, you know, so I'm there we go. slow there when you're waiting for a part. I can't imagine. The, it uh, does happen. I have a oh, buddy yeah. who said, uh, I met a guy who was broken down on that trip up in Escalante, Utah, and he had been stuck in the town for five days because oh, the wow. local mechanic shop didn't know how to fix a VW. And I finally decided maybe I can figure out how to help this guy. And I basically just turned to the distributor, and the thing started. The guy had been stuck for four, five, he had been there five days living in his van in their parking lot because they didn't know what to do. (laughs) Now, that guy became a buddy, of course, because you have a brotherhood brotherhood of the VW, right? (laughs) And uh, when he uh, uh, later came down to St. George, once I was back in St. George at my buddy's house, um, 
he came down that direction and he went camping with me and my other buddy and and he's become a really really good friend um he just sent me a text last night telling me that he blew up the engine in that in that his his bus last year he did 45,000 miles in that bus oh my gosh across the country right some people wouldn't go 1 mile right he did 45,000 i did probably 3500 in in the this new 74 uh Westphalia. Man. It's uh and it's really cool, man. You know, the thing about Westphalia buses, they do have all this romantic uh you know, appeal to them. Uh people dream of it. It's also become super super popular with young people right now. Yeah. The Westphalia in, means it's got the top that pops. Yeah, up, the right? Westphalia on a on a VW bus is the camper conversion. Meaning that it has a, a camper pop-up top. Is there a kitchenette in it? Yeah, and they usually have a little kitchenette and a, and a fold-out bed, and sometimes a fold-out bed up on top. So um, they're very – the design of it is, goes literally back to the 40s or 50s, right. but still incredibly functional and copied by many other people, the design. Westphalia was actually a company that did the conversions – not what not VW themselves. Volkswagen didn't do the conversions. They just sent the bus to the company. The company did the conversions, and then they were sold all over the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, this orange bus uh, that I bought may have been sold in Germany originally because there's some stickers on the in, in various places in it that are kind of unusual, including a dealership sticker. So my orange bus may have been sold in Germany first, and then someone later shipped it here. So that would make it really, really unusual. Yeah. Uh, but the there's a they're fun, man. <laughs> There's nothing like driving. They're called bay windows too. Uh, at, before 1967, the VW bus front window was a split window. It wasn't one piece of glass. In '68, they became one piece of glass, and it became what we call today the bay window. From '68 to '78-ish or nine, something like that. And when you're sitting uh, in the seat of a VW bus, and the steering wheel is an old steering wheel that kind of looks like it's out of a semi truck, it's yeah, huge, it, and it you sit up on top like of the wheels. Flat. You yeah. sit up on top of the wheels, and you're looking out the bay window. It's 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 there's nothing like it in the world. And the first time you get in one and take off down the road, and you see the open road, and you feel the the primitive nature of the old thing, and you the smell of it, and the sound of the engine in the back, because the engine's in the back of an old bus as the engine is in the back of a VW Beetle. Some mm-hmm. people don't know that. But anyway, there's something really primitive about them that keeps your senses alive. It's not like a modern vehicle that's so comfortable, and when you roll up the windows, you can't hear anything outside. You're you're experiencing something more primitive when you're in a VW bus, and that is what a lot of people are interested in. There's a huge interest right now for people to buy or rent these old VW buses and hit the road, right? Uh, Yes, you can do it in an RV, but it's not as much fun. And you don't (laughs) usually come back with these kinds of stories. That's true. so I did two epic trips in the 74 uh, orange bus that I just bought and did the work and got it on the road. I did the one trip partially with my uh, old college buddy. I'd been on a couple of trips before. Um, but he doesn't travel like me, I realized. And I should have known that because I've known the guy for like 30 years. In terms of like he doesn't 
He likes to overplan or underplan. He likes or? to go from point A to point B. Right, and you and like, I don't go from point A to point B unless I've stopped ten times in between. Yeah, to see all the fascinating and interesting things that are there. Uh, so it became uh, quite tense inside the bus. I bet. Uh, even though we've known each other forever, his purpose for the trip was literally to get point A to point B. Even though we talked about this before we took the trip, and he knows how I travel, it it got a little tense along <laughs> along the way. Uh, and I honestly had to take over the trip. I was letting him navigate and choose different roads and various other things. But he literally navigated us past Monument Valley, and I didn't know it <laughs> until we were 60 miles down the road. So he was like... He was as close to death as he'd ever been. <laughs> so he would say, uh, hey, we can just get there really quickly on the interstate. And you would be like, no. Well, no, it wasn't just the interstate because he didn't want to do interstates. He, Since he travels so much around the country and hitchhikes and stuff, he took certain roads like through through uh, you know Navajo Nation or maybe another Indian reservation that he hadn't been on. Well, let's take this road because I've never been on that. Let's see what that scenery is like. Well, that and that like was cool. Kind of up your alley. That was, that was fun. But he wanted to get... Through yeah. to the other side. He wouldn't stop anywhere. No, not on his agenda. He didn't want to. Right. And also because one of the biggest things that we wanted to do as part of that trip was to go to Monument Valley and camp in Monument Valley in this VW bus. Well, I didn't realize that he took something from a conversation I had had a week earlier where I said, well, if there's not cool camping there, then I don't really want to go there. Well, he didn't ever ask and he was navigating that day, and I even pointed out, what's that? He goes, that's Monument Valley. I said, awesome. That's cool, <laughs> thinking that we were driving to uh, there. And then he was driving away we from actually it? stopped in the town and ate at the Sonic, the town where Cayenta, where you go up to, uh, where you turn off to go to Monument Valley. We actually stopped in the little town. This is my own fault for not asking more questions. I was just trusting him that, and also assuming that's where we were going. He was assuming we weren't going there. Because he didn't bring it up from the conversation a week ago. So travel is often about communication with your partner or somebody at a motel or a taxi driver or anywhere else. You know, if you don't have clear communication, you can have some complications. Here I was having horrible con- – <laughs> I was having horrible communication with my longtime buddy. Yeah. He he assumed we that I didn't want to go there when that was the number one thing I wanted to do. <laughs> that's a big So guess how I found miss. out? Guess how I found out? We uh, during the, in the out in the reservations I love to pick up uh native people who are walking because the, the that's part of the nature of what you do out there. And since we have room in the bus, we stopped many times and picked up local people. Everything from a high school kid with a skateboard to an older guy who was headed uh, up in the mountains to help some some uh old ranchers do chores in the winter time. You know, great people, great stories. Um and one of the couples that we picked up on the road um the lady says to me, so you guys are camping and going places and doing all these things? Yeah, 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 cool, man. And she says, well, how about Monument Valley? What do you think of Monument Valley? I said, well, uh, we, 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 we didn't go there yet. And she goes, yet? Well, you just, you were already there. <laughs> I go, what do you mean? She goes, well, Monument Valley is like 60 miles back. And I look over at my buddy <laughs> He's looking forward and won't react. 
because at that moment I realized that he navigated us past Monument Valley based on a conversation I'd had the previous week, and that morning he didn't ask, nor did I ask. Yeah. Communication key in any relationship. It was 50-50, and we drove by Monument Valley, and I didn't know it until the native lady says, you already went past it, man. (laughs) So I I, I actually, uh, uh, when we finished up that trip, um, uh, I actually, that's the moment that I actually took control of the trip. I no longer let him make any decisions about where we were going. And that's when the trip became fun. The style, you. Of, the style of the style of travel that he does is not at all my style, and it's not fun. Yeah, well, he wants to get deal, from point you know? A to B. We would stop and go at gas stations or quick trips or whatever. He wouldn't even get out. He just wanted to keep going. Well, that's not how I do anything, right? I'm going to meet somebody in the gas station. I'm going to find out about a campsite from a guy who's pumping gas <laughs> next to me. I'm going to talk to a, a local person in the gas station who tells me about where to get uh, uh, your best firewood or I, you know, any number of things. The world is, is in front of you if you just ask people. Um, but he doesn't do that. So I wanted to ask you before, uh, real quick before we uh, start to wrap it up because of people from around the world, uh, even guys that I've met, in other countries, and, and they're into, they, if they like cars, they're fascinated with American mm-hmm. cars and the road trips. So they all know Route 66. Mm-hmm. And I know you've done it a few times. Yes. What advice can you give people, real quick, like a shorthand of like taking the trip, what they have to see, what they, what's off the uh, guidebooks that maybe they should see that maybe they don't know about? Well, if you're going to take an American road trip and do Route 66 or do parts of Route 66, in fact, I just did it last week. Yeah, that's a so. Thing. I took a trip with my mother and my two nephews who are five years old, and I wanted to show these two guys what it was like to be out on the road. They've never been on a road trip. Uh, they don't know what traveling in a car long distance like that is even about. Uh, they don't know that there's a real Route 66. They've seen the movie Cars, right, but they the, don't the know cartoon. that some of that is based on on real stuff. Yeah. Right? Um, and it's very romantic, the Route 66 thing, the the imagery, the mystique about it, and all of those things. It's 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 Route 66 was the mother load, which was the road that you went from Chicago to Santa Monica Pier. It was the road that w- people traveled to go to California and go to all these other states, and it was a part of the 50s and 60s and 70s that disappeared in the 80s and 90s. Um, when you decide to do a trip like that, you can do it any number of ways. I mean, our my very first stop for gas on this last trip, I met a guy who was from Amsterdam. And he actually has a restaurant in Spain, but he's from Amsterdam. And he was on an American road trip in a rented RV with his father. And they were doing all of the Route 66 stops. And on his way here to Santa Monica, uh, and I should check in with him on Facebook and find out where he's at. But you can do it in a modern RV or a vintage car. People do it on motorcycles. Oh, yeah. People do uh, it because if you're on a motorcycle, you also have a little more freedom to turn around if you miss something or find the little sections of Route 66. Um, because big chunks of Route 66 still exist, right, in different states. And it helps to do some research online to find out where those are. Because a lot I'm, of it's been torn up. And once the interstate went through... Sure, and once you had a Highway 40 and, and it wiped out Route 66, so some small towns that 66 went through over the decades have, have, have become ghost towns. Uh, some of that ghost town 
element is what makes them interesting today. You know, there's towns like Holbrook and Tucumcari and places like that that still have some of the motels and still have some of the great vintage neon signs. Uh, that stuff is what people are looking for, right? They're looking for abandoned gas stations. They're looking for abandoned motels. And the Wigwam they're, Hotel. And they're you, looking you for the Wigwam. I was, was able, the Wigwam? Where's the that? Wigwam is in Holbrook, Arizona. Holbrook, Arizona. And I had never stayed there but always wanted to. It's still open? Yeah. I just, yeah, I had never stayed there, but always dreamt of doing it. And I was on the road trip with my family and my two five-year-old nephews. And um, we were trying to make a decision of whether we were going to keep going because we started the trip with, with three days of no sleep. And then we took off at two in the morning, trying to make the drive all the way to California and back in the one week that the little guys had off for spring break. So it was a huge... Um, it was very ambitious what we were trying to do. So would they actually have time? Would we have time to stop? Well, according to my mother, no. But, yeah. you know, I I commandeered the trip and, and made stops that actually turned out to be super um, uh, epic for the little boys. Since they'd never experienced anything like this, I wanted them to experience an abandoned gas station. I wanted them to uh, experience Meteor Crater. Uh, and Route 66 Old Towns, right? Um, like Tucumcari and other places. Uh, that's what it turned out to be. I was able to accomplish that in a two-day excursion from Kansas to uh, to Santa Monica and give these little guys that kind of experience. You did it in two days? Yeah. That's- yeah. Yeah, normally That's if you were quick. going to do if you were going to do a Route 66 trip, you wouldn't do it in two days. You no, would no, take yeah. at least a week, a week and a half to stop and see Especially things, and take photos, and eat at diners, and do all these kinds of things. Sure, but we didn't have that kind of time. I was able to still give these guys the epic highlights of Route 66. Uh, and still get to Santa Monica so they could have a California vacation and go to the beach and all these kinds of things. So if you're going to take a piece of it, like mm-hmm. I was saying, so people are flying in from overseas or something, they yep. don't have all that time. Yep. Where would they, should they start? I would say start, do the Western run more, you know, start yeah, more Yeah, you could maybe fly into Tulsa, right? Yeah, and, or Oklahoma City. Uh, Oklahoma or City and or Tulsa, and then start from there and head west, Yeah. right? Um, because I don't know the section actually from... Oklahoma to Chicago. Well, I've driven. I, I've done that. Yeah. on the interstates, but there's a lot yeah. less to see. Right. I mean, I think you want to see the West. You want to see well, that the, old the, stuff. It, well, it's the epic stuff. It's the yeah. stuff that's in the Cars movie. It's the stuff that's in Cars Land when because you get to honestly, Disneyland from Chicago yeah. to Kansas to St. Louis and and Oklahoma City. It's a lot of corn, man. It's a yeah, lot right, of right. Corn. Although I did part of that trip not on sixty six, but just you know back roads all the yeah. way from Illinois. Back to southern, southeastern Kansas uh, uh, last year on a on a trip too in a vintage van. Um, but you start in Amarillo. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, you could you could yeah. start in Amarillo. Um, it depends on your time frame, and you. As with any travel, I think that you need to make more time than you think you need. Oh, sure. It's always that way. Whether you're going to Europe or Asia or America, there's you know you have to have the time. Uh, the guy that I met who was traveling with his dad, who was from Amsterdam, um, he was they had like five weeks or something, and they had a very unique thing that they were doing. I said, well, what about the RV? How did you decide to rent the RV? He goes, well, actually, we're not really renting it. I go, what are you doing then? He says, we're delivering it. He found a company that needs those RVs delivered from Chicago to L.A. 
Wow. Then he and his dad paid like $900 to rent the thing for the five weeks. And they're going to deliver to the guy. And they're going to, when they get to California, they deliver the thing and, and, and they're done. It's a good idea. But it's a very inexpensive way to rent an RV and take a real uh, uh, approach, a uh, real, um, what's the word I'm looking for? To not be in a hurry. Those yeah. guys could stop at all the stops they wanted to do, take as many photos and, 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 and update his Facebook and Instagram and all that kind of stuff. That was, really, that was really interesting. I'd never heard of that before. And that was a guy who was pumping gas next to me, and I started a conversation with him, right? And it was the first person that I had the two little five-year-old guys meet as their first person they meet on the road, a guy from Amsterdam who owns a restaurant on a beach in Spain who's driving an RV all the way to L.A. I want to get that guy's name because I'm going to be out there this uh, summer. Well, I'll hook you up because he invited the two boys to come to Spain. Oh, great. <laughs> And they were like, wow, cool, man. Anyway, he was a super nice guy, and he has a, a really, apparently a really popular restaurant there. I'll give you the guy's name. Where in Spain? Is it? I don't know. Oh, okay. I don't know anything about Spain, so I didn't oh, okay. know what to ask. But he, is, he friended me on Facebook, so he's right there. All right. And uh, so it was, if you're going to do a Route 66, if we can circle back to that, yeah. um, Route 66 is a romanticized idea. The real Route 66, or what's left of Route 66, uh, are just pieces. You know, some towns have a few little motels and a couple of signs. Once in a while, there's an abandoned gas station. But you also have to have the time to take and get off the road, get off the main road, find the old chunks of Route 66, find the old business district of Holbrook, right? Find the, go through the town of Tucumcari and, 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 and stop, you know. It's in New Mexico, right? Yes, right. Or Tucumcari, New Mexico, stop there and eat at the little diner, you know. If you don't stop there and eat at that diner, it will be closed, and it will just be broken windows and, 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 and rust, it, the reason those people hang on in those little towns is somebody has to come in there and stay there and order a hamburger at the diner or whatever. You'll see in a lot of those places, there's there's lots and lots of buildings and uh, that are just – there's places that were open a couple of years ago when I went through that are gone. Right. So they've closed in just a couple of years. Uh, if you're going to do the Route 66, I'd make a plan, and I would have uh, you know uh, take lots of great pictures and get off the road. And if you see a if you see a side road and it, there's an old ranch or an old abandoned gas station, find somewhere on the exit to get off and backtrack and go back to it, man. <laughs> you know it, it it doesn't. What's interesting about driving by stuff? I don't know. <laughs> not not interesting to me. I want to turn around and go back. That's how I took the two boys to uh, an abandoned um, – one of their favorite things I did, I took them to an abandoned gas station and campground. Um, if we stayed in, uh, in Holbrook at the Wigwam Hotel, which I was able to find had a room, we decided to go there. My mother didn't want to go there. But once we were there, the Wigwam in Holbrook has vintage cars in the parking lot, still has the green neon sign that says Wigwam. It's family-owned from when it opened. The family still owns it. They're hanging out in the lobby. The rooms are clean. They have well-maintained this old teepee-looking buildings. And 
once we got the room and opened the door and everybody saw how cool it looked inside and how clean it was, and the two little boys went berserk because they get to stay in, in a, a room that yeah. looks like a teepee. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's what it was so for. It was, it was That was really, really cool. Well, part of that deal was... If we stayed there, then my mother says, hey, there's a casino down the road. I want to go to the casino for 15 minutes. I said, okay, cool. I don't care anything about casinos. So I dropped my mother at the casino, and I backtracked 12 miles to an abandoned gas station I saw with my two five-year-old nephews. So I pull up, and I said, hey, I want to get out and check out these old abandoned buildings and stuff. And they're strapped in the back in their seats, and they're like, what are we doing that for? I go, trust me. It'll be fun. Come on. I'll show you. Now, they'd never done anything like this. So I get them out, and we go uh, traipsing around through an old abandoned gas station, and it's like heaven. They're two five-year-old boys, and there's <laughs> broken windows and old spray can paint and all kinds of graffiti and wind blowing through, desert wind. And so then we went up to the old campground, which was nearby, and there they found an old swimming pool. And they ran inside the old swimming pool, and it was clean because I think people skateboard in it and stuff. Uh, uh, they just, I didn't, I, at that point I could have canceled the whole idea of taking them to Disneyland because they found this abandoned campground and the old swimming pool to be the most fascinating thing they'd ever seen in their lives. <laughs> right. Uh, now I had planned already somewhere along the road to have a, a little snack time for them. So I had prepared little tiny coolers with grapes and cheese and stuff ahead of time so that if someplace cool, that we found would be a good snack place. Well, once they were in the pool and hanging around the abandoned buildings, I thought, this is the place. So I break out the little uh, snack packs for them, and they sit inside an abandoned building in the middle of the desert and have snacks wearing coonskin caps that I bought for them at a truck stop. (laughs) So... They'll remember that. They'll remember that. Oh man, do they? And the pictures are awesome. And the and everybody in the family, the uh, and friends who saw the journey as I posted it on Facebook, really, um, uh, really enjoyed the journey that uh, that we were taking. That I was providing for these two little guys. I wanted to have this impact on them to travel uh, because they've never been anywhere from a small town in Kansas. Just to whet their appetite. I hope this trip, uh, doing this kind of trip and going to Disneyland and going to the beach and camping at the beach at my camping spot will whet their appetite. I think it did. Uh, from the stories I'm hearing now that they're already back home, yeah, they they loved every bit of it. And uh, that's a, you know, then I, my job's done. You've planted the seed. You're a good uncle. Well, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to plant the seed. When I traveled as a little kid, the the the, the, the seed of travel was planted in me, but I didn't know enough as a little kid to know that what that meant, right? But yeah, I have memories me of coming. Yeah. I have memories of coming to California when I was a kid and hanging me out too. with my cool uncle and I was like going eight. to Disneyland. Yeah, out here. We, the yeah, same. We did the Griswold vacation. We did the we, old Route sixty six route. Right, right, right. We, we did didn't too. get off the freeway. See, that my much, dad didn't stop. Yeah, so me either. Here's the here's the here's why Actually, I stopped. We, did, we stopped at like the Petrified Forest. We did like uh, the Grand Canyon, was it open? Death Valley. Okay, Petrified Forest. Well, we did Forest. Grand Canyon too, but basically run walk around, take a few yeah, pictures. Yeah, yeah, we didn't My dad did not like to stop. He was point A to point B guy. And I don't travel that way. I think the real experience is taking the time to see and do things. My mother really had a great time on this trip because she allowed me to take over and make the stops, even though she didn't want to, right? 
But each stop that we made, that we that I made interesting or she found interesting from the things we did, she loved every second of it. So she went home very happy that we made this trip and that we made those stops. We made the stop in an old uh, uh, in Holbrook, Arizona, at a place called the Stagecoach, an old steakhouse, which was actually the Stagecoach stop in the 1870s for that town. Right, right, <laughs> and it's old wood and old wagon wheels, and it was awesome. And then we stayed in a teepee motel, which was incredible. And the pictures I posted of that motel, I've had dozens of people ask me about that place. First of all, most people didn't know it existed, or they didn't know it was still open. Yeah, I thought, or it was long that gone. it wasn't run down, and that the rooms are clean, and the family's very nice, and they have fifteen vintage cars sitting in the parking lot. When you pull in, it looks like every room is full. Yeah, because there's a forty-nine Ford, there's a fifty-three Chevy pickup truck, there's a sixty-five <laughs> Chevy van. I mean, every kind of old vintage car to give it that feel is there, and it's really, really worth if the timing works for you to call ahead, reserve a room, and stay in the wigwam because it's the only place like that there is. So is there a site you have now, or is it all on Facebook? Now? So people can I don't have your, a site. want to see your yet, photos. Right, no, all my pictures are on Facebook. So Jerry, uh, Jerry... Yeah, Jerry Whitworth. Whitworth. Yeah, Jerry Whitworth on Facebook. And uh, I... I, I like to journal the pictures. My pictures all have a story that go with them. So what I hope people do when they actually find my uh, photos, and if they're a friend of mine, they can look through the albums, is take the time to read the stories. Because I don't post a picture just to show you what it looks like. I'm there to tell you a story. My travel is about stories. My travel is is, is well, how do I even say it? discovering the stories is what I love about the travel. I mean, I can look at videos of what the Grand Canyon looks like. I don't even have to go there. But (laughs) when I did go there on this trip, I had an amazing experience. You know, the campground was sold out. There was all the other campgrounds nearby were closed for the season. I drove all the way there and I was not going to get to camp at the Grand Canyon. But I decided well, let me drive in and see what the campgrounds look like because next time I'll come back here. So I drive in, and I decide to pull up to the little gate where the ranger is, knowing it's sold out. So, I, uh, in fact, I don't even get out of the vehicle. I just roll down my window, and I talk to the uh, park ranger who sticks her head out the window. I said, hey, I know this place is sold out, but is there any possibility in the universe that somebody – one of these people who had a reservation canceled or left. And she just kind of shakes her head. And I'm like, oh, man. She shakes her head for a long time, and she looks out at my bus. And she stares at the bus. And she says, you know what? Orange is my favorite color. You guys are in luck. (laughs) I go, what do you mean? She goes, I got a spot for you. Like, no way. So I get out of the bus, and I walk over, and she goes, yeah, I got a spot for you. You guys can have it. It's a premium spot, so you have to pay $8 more. I said, I don't care what it costs. I'll take it. She hands us the ticket to the space. We drive to the space, right? It turns out to be the number one space in all of the Grand Canyon camping, space number 18 at the North Rim Campground. Because it's it's Does a it big space. Does it the entire it, canyon? You're looking at, into the Grand Canyon. Oh wow! About a hundred yards away. So eight dollars more than what? So what is the total for? Oh, uh, I don't even know what it costs. I think it was like 
I don't know, 35 or 40 bucks for the space, but the premium yeah. space was $8 and more. And you get your own view. You could just... Well, what happened is the, a couple had the, – the, look, the spots there are impossible to get like with any other major camping spot where everybody wants to go. But the couple who had rented it had rented it for four days, and at the end of the third day, they left. And they must have left about 10 minutes before I rolled into the campground and asked if there was a space open. Because we took the space, we started unloading, and a couple who were in a space nearby who used to have a VW bus came over to talk to us and ask us, how did we get that space? I said, I don't know. We just rolled in. They're like, I, they've never heard of it ever, that somebody <laughs> rolled open, yeah. in and got space number 18 at the north rim of the Grand Canyon. <laughs> Luck, another angel. Well, an angel, yes, named Tara, who was uh, the, the cutest uh, park ranger I've ever seen in my life. And had the, whose favorite color was orange. And her God. favorite color was orange. <laughs> so people can find you at Jerry Whitworth on Facebook. Correct. I'm on Instagram also as Retrotomic. 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 Yeah, and there's where I post a lot of travel stuff and and uh, vintage vehicle-related things. But I do post a lot of cool shots that I also have on Facebook of the travel and the places that I go. Uh, it's easier to tell the stories on Facebook because there's more space for people to read the little story. But uh, I also shoot a lot of video now that I didn't used to shoot. Basically, from the trips, some of the trips that I've talked about today, I've had a friend of mine who's a producer who works for a company back in Philadelphia – asking me about making a show about myself out on the road. Well, I'm a TV producer, and I never really wanted to be the on-camera talent. I'd, I'd love to produce a show like that, but I don't want to be that guy. However, having been asked... Gee, if you only having, knew somebody who was an yeah, uh, on-camera yeah. person... Correct, then you could do it. ...who likes to travel, I'm wondering... Who would you travel in in a, in a 40-year-old VW bus? Yeah, we need yeah. somebody who can fix it, though. Well, you, 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 you fix little things and then pray. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Now well, we'll talk. We'll talk. We'll, well here's what happened. Basically, I decided after, after so many people have, have pursued this idea um, of me doing something, because people do follow my adventures and I do tell great stories, I think, about the fascinating people and things that I find along the road. So what I'm doing now is I'm putting together a sizzle reel for uh, uh, the show idea, concept, proof of concept idea, for me as the guy who's out on the road. I did finally shoot footage of me doing these things, which I hadn't ever really done. I document everything in still pictures, but I never really shot video of the people I encounter. On this last trip, finally, about halfway through, I decided to do that. I realized, wait a minute, there's a lot of people doing this. Why don't I do it as a show since I already do it yeah, for real, right? Why make up a concept for a show about somebody who does, does this kind of thing when I actually already do it? So right now we are cutting together a sizzle reel that can be pitched to a network with me as the guy who takes a chance in 40-year-old VW buses and travels the country and meets all these interesting people. Basically, it's like this. Huell Hauser died a few years ago, and people see me as the reincarnated Huell Hauser, <laughs> but in a 70s orange sure. VW bus. Sure, I get it. And I at first resisted that, but realized it's true. I do feel that I carry on 
the idea of what Huell Hauser did, his enthusiasm, his spirit, the things that he loved to discover and uncover when he was out on the road. For him, it was just California, California's gold on PBS. Yeah. But for me, it's all over the world. And if I could take 10% of his enthusiasm and his charm and meet people on the road, then I'll be doing something good. Well, you're halfway there. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, man, I thank you for doing this. This sure, is awesome, man. and uh, thank you for coming back and doing this. You ready to yeah, get some man, lunch? Yeah, man, I'm ready anytime. Yeah, let's All have right. some lunch. Yeah, let's do it. All right, Jerry Whitworth, Thanks, everyone. folks, and watch for me on Facebook.